0: Yes, hello folks, welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Pits and I must say I am delighted to be joined with the excellent Tony Adams, a guy who, other than our football teams that we support, there's virtually nothing I disagree with this guy on, I've been a great admirer of his work for years, I suggest you go uh, follow this guy, I'll tweet out all the links, a uh, wonderful human being, a uh, great journalist and delighted to have him on the show, Tony how you doing? Oh, not so bad, but we can go that far on any of it, you know. It's, it's, nah, listen, yeah. Ed, I, I like a lot of your your, your moral compass, how it's, how it's calibrated, and I like a lot of the things. I mean, I'm going to fully disclose that. I don't usually talk politics on this podcast, but some of that's going to be discussed today. And I think we have a lot of uh, alignment on our social views in life, so uh, I'm, honoured, I'm genuinely honoured to have you on here. Uh, I want to ask you about you. Tell me about you. Why football? Why Liverpool? Why journalism? Well, why, why football? Well, because you're born to it. Mm. I mean, it's not something. It's not
1: a choice. Not affectation. You know, it's um, when I grew up. You know, I'm from Liverpool to a in, you know between Scotland and Vauxhall Roads. You know, one of the most deprived areas in the country. Certainly, when I was born, um, you know, so you grew up in tenements, and there was kids everywhere. And what did you do? You played football all day. Like, everyone supported the football clubs, you know, but, you know, Everton predominantly around us, more mm. Everton than Liverpool. Um, but, you know, for example, I remember, like sort of the 65 and 66 cup finals, there was like bollards and our street, you know, um, you'd think to stop cars, but no one had cars in those days, but there was bollards. And like, they, they got painted in, you know, sort of, with, with a, a little sort of, they were sort of, uh, you know, sort of like, how, 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 how would you put it? The uh, you know, they, they were sort of rounded at the top and so high. Yeah. And people painted like uh, red and white hats on them in 65, you know, a face on them and a scarf on them. And all the houses, you know, everyone's house was decorated, you know, for the cup final. And it was a really big deal. 66, it all turned blue, painted over the red turned blue. Mm-hmm. And everyone was... You know, it was kind of it wasn't that was rivalry, it wasn't but wasn't massive rivalry, it wasn't sort of antagonistic like it is today. Mm. But everyone was into football, so you just did it with your mates, and it was cheap. So when you went to match, it was a communal thing, big gang years ago, and you know, stands on the terraces, Did cheap entertainment for people without a lot of money, and then you know, sort of you come home from school, get home from school, first thing you do is get out, play in the block, you know, 30. You know, the old dirty sides match, you know, sort of, and, you know, these urban, sort of, you know, uh, where the factories have been bombed out and knocked down to put tarmac on somewhere. Yeah, you just play. And so football was just part of your life and never even thought about it. I thought everyone's is it, mm. you know, because you go to... and I mean, I'd go to... when Before I started going to Liverpool away games, I'd go to Goodison. If Liverpool were away on a Saturday, it was always Saturday and three o'clock in those days. Liverpool were away on a Saturday, I'd go to Goodison, wouldn't think twice about it. Again, cheap, I have made two wins. We go, we would go on the park end. And it was, you know, it was brilliant. It was like, you just watch football. I'd like, I'd never actively want Everton to win, but then, and I'd laugh if they lost, but it didn't bother me that mm. much. It was just going to see football and taking part in this communal activity. and And that's what, you know, and I always say to people, if going the match was about the match, I would have stopped in my teens, but mm. it, wasn't, it was about loads of other things. Yes. It was about togetherness with your mates. It was about, later when I started going to away games, about the adventures you'd have. And I don't mean hooliganism by that, but going no. to different cities that you'd never see in a million years. You're going and drinking in their pubs, meeting people there, seeing what they were like. And, a, a diff- and it was just, you know, that, that idea of travel, I mean, Scouts has always travel because it's a port city, you know, and sort all the people I looked up to were, were people who went away to sea, Dockers, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But by the time I was getting into my teens, the port had shrunk,
2: yeah. so
1: people weren't traveling. So we traveled through football, you know, so, so, we, so it gave us that, not only in, in so as I as got to the end of my teens, not only in the UK, uh, not only in England, more to the point, uh, but like it, you travel further fields abroad, and so it'll give you it'll give you a wider scope than a working class person yeah. would necessarily have, you know. And um, so that that's why football. And and you know, of course, you are like I, 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 you know, so sort of, you go and watch a lot of football. So you you find you know about a lot of football, and and later on, and that became a career in... Because of circumstances, really. So, you know, I kind of fell into that.
0: Well, it's funny because it was some unintended consequences. And one of the things is it gives you a great geographical knowledge of the world. Being a football fan, and I don't know how many times wherever I've been in the world, I've been in four of certain places, in particular obscure parts of the world, primarily because of football. And it always resonates with people no matter what. You you, put, you touched on a point there that was quite interesting about how pointed the rivalry has become between Liverpool and Everton. Now, occasionally there's tragedies that transcend football that unite the city, which it should. But why has it become so pointed over the years? Oh, well,
1: the the H word Heisel. you know, it's like mm-hmm. um, and that that really was the turning point. You know, it's um, and and it wasn't a turning point immediately because you know, in the immediate aftermath of Heisel, like the, you know, the Everton the club, the players and the fans were in general support of, of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I mean, but let's not deny this. We played a big role in the events that happened that day. You know, our behaviour had, had a huge role. There was a causal chain, I always say. Mm-hmm. You take any link out of it, people don't die. But, of course. But our behaviour was one of those links and that contributed to 39 people dying. So no one can ever feel good about that. As a quick aside, I keep being told all the time, oh, you know, on social media and by idiots. Oh, you never talk about So Never stop talking I about know, it. I know, no, I know. You've done never an excellent piece on it. Right from the be- You know, anyway, so, so uh, uh, the first time I saw it is the 95 Cup final against United. And... Um, and me, mm-hmm. mates But you know, we we when when the final whistle went, we were all watching it in our house, and like we spontaneously broke into song because we were so pleased that mm-hmm. like you know that Everton won. And we went to town that night, and we went we we went into um uh uh, uh the Beehive on Paradise Street above there, and the Evertonians were coming back, and most of them, you know, we like brilliant boys, you know, mm-hmm. United, fantastic, and some fellows come in. And they're a bit snarly to us, they're a bit like, oh I. And um, so we were in our mid thirties then. So, you know, so they, they were a bit younger, you know, in the twenties and all that, like we were a bit snarly. And then they, they unfurled a, a, an Everton flag on, on a Union Jack. Mm. One of them makes what's with the Union Jack boys? And like, next thing, they're up squaring up to us, giving up loads of murderers. And we were like, whoa. And you know we had been around the block, as I say, we were ten years old, and you know we were um, you know, uh, one of them said sadly, but they, you know they, 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 I'm sure, they weren't shy. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and it's all diffused, and we finished our points and left, and we were like, what's with those Evertonians? And actually, we should have known because I probably, probably uh, uh, thinking about it now, off the top of my head, we played we played Everton in a derby. Um, a, oh a couple of weeks before the uh the cup final at Wembley and um the the, the Goodison was singing who are cantoner and um <laughs> United and we were like bit, you know oh come on yeah. and um, and so th- that's when I first saw it and it's got worse and worse and worse. It's got more and more poisonous, you know, and, and you know and like some of our other helped by you know uh, you know flying stoya Bucharest banners mm-hmm. you know on the cop, you know, which is like to be honest, I'm not doing that. After Heisel and where happened the year before. And, you know, and that's... There, there are times when, and, and, and I wrote it once, and the hatred of it was unbelievable, that there is a certain part of the Everton fan base that, like, thinks they're the real victims of Heisel. And that's just, like, honestly. Mm. But, you know, it's like most of them... Are, are, Hopefully, most of them are rational, you know, to one of them. But certainly, I'll tell you what, if, 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 you know, Erla shouldn't be like, shouldn't be flying banners that kind of celebrates what happened as a consequence of Heisel, so, you know, because it, it is, you know, it, it is, you know, it, one of the ugliest moments in the club's history. And certainly, the, the most shameful moments in the club's history, you know, and 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 so that's that's clear. So so unfortunately, yeah, it's got pretty poisonous now.
0: One of the things that sort of bothers me, Tony, and we see this uh social media more than anything, especially when you see someone like a young lady coming out last week accusing Thomas Partey of sexual assault. And then you see the tribalism and people use these events not because they have empathy with the people who died or the victims, but more to point score against someone else. Oh, and yeah. it's using these tragedies. And to me, that's as disrespectful as as, as anything else, to use these people and their deaths to, to point score against someone you don't like rather than having legitimate empathy for the victims, which is, I think, um, incumbent upon some of the older fans to try to shape some of the younger fans who look at everything through a tribal lens and not objective um, to educate and say look there are some things that transcend football there are human experiences that have nothing to do with how much you love your football club it doesn't make you a better fan because you revel in someone else's pain these are things that are transcend football I've talked to Margaret Aspinall on my podcast which um growing up in Belfast I'm, I'm well aware of uh, the sense of injustice uh, it is absolutely unbelievable. And I think it's incredibly sad that we still have people today that use these tragedies for no, no other reason than points were. Um, I think that is one of the things that I lament that social media has amplified. Yeah, definitely. The
1: banterfication of
0: tragedy, mm-hmm. you know,
1: and it's like, uh, and people don't realize the impact it has, you mm-hmm. know, it has a huge impact on you. And, you know, it's like, I remember, do you remember the, the, the time um, on a Saturday night Everton played at uh, the Emirates, and like, with about a quarter of an hour ago, 20 minutes ago, there was an announcement, the last train would be cancelled to mm-hmm. Liverpool that night, and you had to go, and all the, all the uh, Arsenal fans were cheering and laughing, and mm. so I just put on social media, really, you know, if it happens in reverse, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's really pathetic. You cheering that, you know, it's like, and I understand it's the match, and I understand people get, you know, yeah, a bit stupid and all that. Well, and anyway, and 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 someone tweeted me and said, uh, "You should have died at Hillsborough." Yeah. You know what? That's it's like, man, I mean? it's unbelievable. I, I was going through a bad phase at the time, anyway, and that just it, it it brought back nightmares, mm-hmm. yeah, and, you know, and like and. And they, and, and they don't realise the effect, and they wouldn't say to you, you know, well, this has always been around. It's not, this sort of attitude is not new. You know, I remember in the, the late 70s and 80s when the whole Munich thing started, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, and um, you know, and, and go there, and it really was the festival of hate. And, you know, and, and, like, you know, so if you could take the Munich thing out of it, part of me, and, and take the violence out of it, yeah. part of me was the atmosphere and the... the yeah. atmosphere. You know, the, the build up and the confrontation, but you know, it was, it was pretty ugly. You know, you, had, mm-hmm. you had to have a strong stomach, but like the thing was, if you were going to go there and say to United fans and sing Munich songs to them, then you knew you were going to have to risk violence, mm-hmm. of course. You know, and like, and it was, I'm not saying this is right, I'm not saying it was good, but one of the things that stopped behavior getting running out of control traditionally. In the, you know, a, a football it was the proximity of rival fans who, if you embrace mm-hmm. them enough, will punch you in the head or mm-hmm. kick you in the head. You know, it's one of them. And, um, but now with social media, you say what you like, I no know. one can do anything. You know, I, I wish you could invent a cyber punch, go through the <laughs> you know, one of them. And, like, um, you know, and honestly, I'm not saying they were best days because they were, they, were, they were demonstrably worse and not justifying hooliganism. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to indulge in antisocial and obnoxious behaviour, generally you have to take your chances, and you might end up feeling sorry for it. Whereas, what well, if you got here? Uh, um, you're not even going to get Twitter banned for most of it
0: I think Mike Tyson summed it up best social media made people way too comfortable with disrespecting people without going to smack in the face What? it yeah. and I think that's you know it's a metaphor as an analogy but I think it's, there's some truth to that you know, yeah, and, know. and we know Do not bit things
1: time, I remember one, one time in particular I was in um, I was in uh, I went with the Anfield rap to break really, you know so brilliant night you know it's like sort of you know the full house there and, and and tremendous time I was at the bar beforehand a fella comes up to me and he goes um he goes oh, oh, can you can you unblock me on social media <laughs> and I don't I don't block you know yeah. you have to really same what, here well these days I do if, if people call me a drunk I block it if yeah, they use totally. anti scouts tradition which which is has its roots in, in Irishness anti scouts anti Irish drugs, I've mm-hmm. been a drunk mm-hmm. you know just because they disagree with you your opinion they call you a drunk no yeah. gone yeah, you know, mm-hmm. one of them. I, totally I agree. I'll argue with you. But like this, I, at the time I didn't do that. I, I hardly ever blocked. So I, said, I don't block many people. What do you do? What did you say? He's oh, uh I said your mother was a whore. <laughs> I said you've got the balls to come up to me in this bar and say what? That. and he was like, I was drunk. I said, no, <laughs> said you yeah. I said like no, I won't block you, you dickhead. I said, You don't want to drink if you want Jesus to Christ it's like I, I you, you just think to yourself and um, you, you know yeah've I've had, I've had that sort of thing on a number of occasions and like people are like oh yeah yeah I've had a few and um, and I, I suppose one of the problems as well is w- with social media you become familiar with people and I mm. think to a certain extent you start thinking you know them <laughs> and you start thinking mm, you think that you can say to your mates and but you can't because they're not your mates you don't mm-hmm. know them so, the the, the, so whole true. Thing, the the whole thing's seriously uh, skewed, and you know, and you look at the level of hate, for example, that people involved in women's football with oh, Aiden, no, It's, it's unbelievable to me. People will say things. On social media, they'd never say to your face. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I I, um, I'm very keen on, I never say anything on social media. I wouldn't say to someone in public, Mm and I wouldn't say to the face. So if I call you an obnoxious name on social media, and you walk into the pub and say, "I'm that fella," I'm going to say, "Oh, you're that."
0: Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. I I completely agree, and it's a permanent record. Whatever you put on there, is a it defines you in many ways. And look, when you get a large following, like you have inevitably, such as the ratio of, you know, get a hundred people, 10 of them are going to be decades. You're just going to get some of that, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't impact people on the other end. Look, I am also friends with a lot of boxers and we'll get to this in a minute. And, These are people that are defined in society as the alpha. These are people that are also struggling with mental health issues due to a lot of the darkness that they see on social media with people being disgracefully insulting with no filter. And yet Twitter has the most bizarre editorial policies where you can call someone the most despicable things in the world and that's perfectly fine. And yet you get banned for something utterly benign. Um, So um, I want to ask you a little bit about Haisal because... Those who say that you don't comment on it are idiots. Uh, One of the best pieces and most honest pieces I ever seen on it was written by you. And my first introduction to these topics were through the lens of a Manchester United fan, which were naturally biased and I was looking for certain outcomes. So I wasn't and I was a young, young man, of course. And I wanted the evidence to fit my view. And so I had a very toxic view of both Heysel and Hillsborough. I was later educated properly on Heysel, Red Tail report and realised how wrong I was. This is why I meant that it's incumbent upon older fans who should know better to educate younger fans, but truth of what really happened here. Before we get to Hillsborough, I want to talk about Heysel. Tell me about what happened that day.
1: Well, you got to start a year before. You've got to start in Rome in yeah,
0: 84.
1: And right. if you don't start there, you, you can't understand it. Going to Europe for us was brilliant. You know, um, we you know we we didn't get into a lot of trouble in Europe. You know, I, I've said many times before, our boys at the time would rather rob than fight. You know, mm-hmm. and yes, it's a stereotype about scouts, but you know, the part of it that's true, and you know, the, 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 there was within a. You know, so to, if you're old enough to, to go on those days, you'd refer to the, the away mob. It didn't mean necessarily a hooligan thing. It didn't mean it wasn't like the ICF, you know, you didn't have a name. It's just the overall group. And in our away mob, there were three real factions. There were the, the drinkers, who were the overwhelming majority, the robbers, who were a substantial minority, and the fighters, who generally were a tiny minority, who were treated with a certain element of scorn. And now that didn't mean... Uh, uh, boys, and, and generally it was boys, you know, sort of mm. young men, and, uh, we're, you know, weren't capable of violence because if provoked, yeah, you know, it was one of them. Of course. So, so you know, it's like, but, we, we, but Europe in particular was a release because you didn't get the, um, you know, when you went to away matches in the 80s, it's less now than it's ever been. But when you went in the 80s and 70s, our accent was criminalised. Mm-hmm. more than anyone else's, for historical reasons. But our accent was criminalised. Explain was a, that, Tony, for historical reasons. What do you mean by that? Well, Liverpool's always been... Well, Liverpool not, hasn't always been the rogue city. It used to be Tory town. It used to be the second city of the empire. But after the famine, after the great hunger, it became a rogue city when a, 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 it, it it's, it's, it's political and religious... Oh, that's
0: interesting. City. I didn't know that. It used to be yeah, Tory yeah. second city. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it's like um, L- Liverpool was very late to football and very late to left-wing politics. Mm. And the reason, it was, the reason it was late to both of those things is because the working classes there on both sides were fixated with the Irish question rather than anything else. So, for example, where I live, as an Irish nationalist MP until 1929, well, mm. think about it: An yeah. Irish nationalist MP, one, on the mainland, yeah. but two... You know, until 1929. Yeah, eight years on from uh, you know the creation of you know the 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 free state. So, Mm -hmm. so there was a different dynamic there. You know that like you know you you grew up in Belfast. You know it's like and Liverpool wasn't as bad by the time I was growing up. Well, nowhere near as bad as Belfast. I was in
0: Liverpool in the eighties. I was at Anfield a couple of times. We played the World and West Chester boys. So I was in it a couple of times in the eighties. But so I carry on. Yes, I remember it well.
1: But well, even even well not now because like um, uh, sort of you know when when I used to go back to me mother's and sort of so we'd given up the house recently because she she's ill, but like um, but you know even even in, into into this decade when I go home well actually pre COVID so the last decade when I go home and on a Sunday morning you could hear the Lambeg drum, drums up on the hill, you know the mm-hmm. Lodge March in Liverpool so the, the, you know the sectarianism is. Bit nearly non-existent now, yeah. but it was still a big thing in in the seventies and in, into the early eighties. There was Protestant party councillors, you know. So mm-hmm. so Liverpool had a different dynamic, and it's quite interesting because I used to go to um, the, the away games. Our group that went was, was actually probably 60-40 Protestants and 60 percent Protestants, forty percent Catholic. And like you know, so to, so we'd have, you know a little bit to and fro and about it all, you know, and all that. But I always remember mate saying to me, he said like you know, he said in, in this would be in the late eighties. He said to me, he said like I've realised, I've come to realise that even though I'm from a Protestant background and even though my family march in the lodge, you know, one. He said, he said, it's not English, is it? No, said, he said no you know, it's not. You know, he said like, you know, he said like for years, like when you've been doing that, uh, I'm not English, you know, I'm Scouse. He's like, oh, you know, just mm-hmm. another one of the Irishmen. He said like, he said, well, I've, I've come to realize that's not where it's about. He said, our culture is so different to theirs. Mm-hmm. He said, they don't understand it. He said, we're not English, yeah, none of us. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, finally, you know, it took mm-hmm. a year to get at that point. But you, you, you realized so, so it's a very different dynamic and it's a very different mindset. And and, and and obviously you can actually change the you, you can and obviously I've written books of of his, history of sorts, football history, but I've also like done a lot of research into the background of this. And you can actually see the way it changes after the wave of immigration in the late eighteen forties, early fifties, all of a sudden that uh, um you know, violence, you know, all, all the tropes come out, all the stereotypes, you know, mm-hmm. sentimental, drunken. Yeah. You know, it's unintelligence. You know, they all, they all start, they all start getting used about Liverpool in a way they weren't used before. The way they have mm-hmm. been used about Ireland traditionally, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, and why? Well, we all know because, right. you know, and and so you can follow it all the way through. So, I mean, for example, there was you know, everyone's watched Peaky Blinders on you know on the mm-hmm. telly over here, which uh, I joined as expecting to be about about. Uh, about youth street gangs in, in the 1880s and was very disappointed when I saw the daft soap opera. Oh. But, for example, the Peaky Blinders in Birmingham and the Scuttlers in, in Salford were, were it was street gangs. But the, 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 the most feared street gang of all were the High Rip in Liverpool. And why were they feared? Well, they were worse. They were better or worse than the other gangs elsewhere in, you know, poverty um poverty racked areas and you know mm-hmm. and all that. But it had that whiff of Celtic violence about mm-hmm. it. And all the crimes in Liverpool were were treated as if they were worse by the press mm-hmm. and by the government and by the courts than if they happened elsewhere. And when in fact some of them were you know were, were far more heinous. You know one of them. So so there's been this traditional other another city, you know, it's it's, yes. it's it is a rogue city, you know. You know, someone challenged me on Twitter, Ah, oh, you know, what, what's so different about you? What's so different about you? you know, I'm from Salford, you know, like uh, it's terrible. Well, right, first of all, the religious divide wasn't ex- so extreme in Salford, there was a religious divide, wasn't so. Secondly, the, the you know, the, the a civil war never nearly started on the streets of Manchester in Mm -hmm. 1909. I mean, within within the living memory of people I knew, you know, growing up. You know, um, know, they they never sent gunboats, you know, onto the air well to to threaten to shell the city when Mm. they went on strike. You know, it's like, um, you know, obviously you can go back 100 years previously, almost in the early century, and you have Peterloo and all that. And Manchester has always been a radical city. One of the things I hate is this Liverpool fan singing, Tory, Tory, Man United. Come on. Manchester was radical when Liverpool was Tory town. But by the time you enter the 20th century, you know, they were sending troops onto the streets. Uh, You know, in August 1919, the anniversary is coming up next week. You know, uh, like 400 yards from where I was born and lived till I was 29. And actually, it's 400 yards to where my mother's house was until last, you know, uh, in fact, earlier this year, it got rid of it. You know, it's the spot where where troops opened fire on the crowd, yeah. uh, in, injured 15 and killed two people. You know, like, and I, I grew up with people who actually remembered it, who remembered, yeah. you know, they, they were there and would talk about it. And, you know, as, as she walks along, they go, yeah, that's where the army shot. You know, so it, it's these things made Liverpool. And also, you know, when when the media coverage of it, you know, it's like the troops have to be called out in Liverpool and shoot people for the rest of the country. You mm-hmm. know, that's, so, so Liverpool was, you know, was othered very much so. And it's been an outsider city. And as a response... Our attitudes grew up like that, and and again, one of the the, the the tropes that come from Ireland and settles in Liverpool is the thief. You know,
2: do yeah. rob mm-hmm. anything.
1: You know, it's one of that. And so, you know, so you go, you go to London in the eighties, and like you like, go, you know, twenty pound notes into into a pub, and they'll be like, "Whoa, oh, look at that!" You know, oh, "No, no, no, can't take that."
0: But it, I think Tony, in some sense, there's a very unfair framing of crime. I mean, we're sitting here, uh, and I, if you're making a hundred grand a year, the, the 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 probability that you're going to come out and c- commit petty crime is extremely low because there's no need to it. The cost benefit, you know, why would you do it? Yet, when people steal the life savings of the country from behind a computer, like they did in 2009, it's not framed as crime. One person went to prison for that, and that was barely made Madoff because he stole from the rich and not the poor. So. It's funny how crime is framed. We see Wells Fargo who will launder money for cartels and get a, get a cost of business, doing business, fine for that. Um, and they're the reason why cartels are still in business because they need to send all that money somewhere. They they, they bailed banks out in 2009. We see Wells Fargo stealing from their, their customers out here. It's not framed as crime. But if you walk in and steal a £20 note, you should be putting present for the next 20 years because it's indicative of... So to me there's a correlation between the social and economic decay in certain cities and the predilection to certain types of crime because it's some of it's about survival. Some of it's about people that have nothing and they've been completely abandoned.
1: Yeah, and and I'll be completely honest about it. When I was growing up, it wasn't considered a crime. Where I come from... To steal from people who can afford it by that i mean jobs shoplifting i mean from banks you know from uh, sub post offices that sort of thing you know in fact you know the 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 heroes of the community were the people who did that sort of thing i mean when you when you come from a poor background how do you gain status well you know wealth obviously and you haven't got access to wealth you haven't got access to climb up so So, you know, the people who who, who had a few quid in status, the other way to get status, bringing us back full circle, was to go the matches, especially in the time, and the away games, a time when there was a lot of trouble and there was a lot of, or at least the perception that there was a lot of trouble in the hooliganism. So you gained status doing that so it was an easy way to gain status by going the away games you know it was like um you know we went on the ordinaries rather than the specials you know for those who don't know they used to put on special trains which would be uh outside the normal timetable and and take you to you know the other cities and they'd have um a, a big police escort be met you'd be marched up the grounds but the ordinary trains were what elsewhere they called service trains and so they will be scheduled timetables, and you could, you could, if you went early enough, get under the radar of the police, get out in the town. You know, it's one of them. So we, on, we, you know, we we take the special, and that got your status. Um, and I'd love to just juxtapose, juxtaposition, position, easy for me to say, of mm-hmm. of of, 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 the, of the words and and the subversion of language. You know, because like the ordinary was like, you know, you think our oh, normal, and that we're, we're, you know ordinary boys were the elite. You know, if you went on the special, you wanted a lump of mass. There was nothing special about it. Yeah. Well, you'd walk into the Yankee, you know, like um, on Lime Street, the American bar, at like, um, you know, I don't know, half nine, you know, when the special would go in at six. You know, walk in and everyone would be like, the ordinary's in, the ordinary's in. Was there any trouble? you go, nah, it was a doddle. You know, I give you status. Yeah. But people who live in... and And again, it's a thing that people who uh, have access to resources, from the middle class upwards, don't understand mm-hmm. the quest for status from people from poor backgrounds, and they kind of, you know, they, 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 they think it's stupid. What well,
0: it might be stupid to you, but wasn't stupid to me in my 20s. Mm-hmm. To bring the conversation back to household, so wait, you had to wait a rumors, so tell me what happened the year before, because that was the antecedent to what happened, of course, at um again, at, at 85 Again,
1: social media, it's like... We played. We played Roma in the Olympic Stadium in Rome in the final, and um, we 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 only took up eight thousand tickets out of the eleven on offer to us. And people now just go, oh, now don't believe that, you know, because you see things like Paris or you see things like, um, well, Kiev or Madrid when you know people just turn up to go to bars in these cities and be part of the whole thing. You know what? People didn't want to go to Rome. They we were scared, and mm-hmm. we didn't take our full allocation. People say to me, "Nah, I don't believe that." But actually, I've done the research.
2: Yeah,
1: I've gone back and took out the papers. But anyway, so eight thousand went to Rome. When we got to Rome, I'd, the, never been in a more hostile place. And mm-hmm. and 1984, from the summer of 1984, 19, summer 1985 was the most violent year of experience. It was it was it was a madhouse. But we'll come back to that. Um And the uh Rome had decided that Roma had already won before we got there, and so sort of the, the whole city was decked out um you know sort of with European cups on Roma balance and 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 their their boys were out in numbers and the other thing there called Puchocarti, which United have been on the receiving end of a couple of times, mm-hmm. where they've turned stabbing people in the backside into a cultural event. You know, and like it's—it's it's just one of the most outrageous things ever. You know, um, you know, I—I I ran a campaign to get the 2009 final taken away from them. I knew it wouldn't work, but the times of London were calling mm. Rome Stab City. And if you go back and look at the, you know, look at the records, it's absolutely horrifying. Oh, you never um,
0: played there, 2008, and same thing. Uh, police battered them too. So yes. yes. <clears throat> so, so uh, was it was
1: 2008 or 2009, the final. Uh, I'm, I'm get me ears anyway, it
0: doesn't, um, doesn't
1: it's it's uh, so anyway,
0: yeah, 2008 was Luzniki was Moscow, um, so yeah, yeah, uh, was, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: um, so anyway, so we went there and we got there, and it was one of the most hostile places we have ever been. You know, we we were under attack from the moment we got there. And when I say under attack, people might go, well oh, you know, vainglorious language and all that. We landed in the airport on the edge of the city, and he took us on coaches, um, and it, it, so we're going around the ring road, and it, it, they pull up in Fiats, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the soft top room, uh, pop out, throw a bottle at the coach, you know, on and fire a flare. So, yeah. yeah, it was under attack from the, the moment. And um, when we got to the ground, it's like we started hearing stories about what happened the night before, because I flew on the tape. It was the first time I ever flew to an away game in Europe, and first time i have been there on the day. Um, and we had stories of like, you know, beatings and stabbings, and like we were a bit like, oh, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. anyway, when the, 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 there's a picture of me with me brothers and me mates um, after the penalties and like they're, they're celebrating to the camera and I'm in the background like, like with mm-hmm. the stuff. And I can tell you what I was thinking at that moment. I was thinking, fuck, we've got to go outside now. <laughs> and then, I've never seen such rage. They, uh, they, 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 they attacked us. We made stars were stabbed in the kidneys and nearly died. A 16-year-old son, when he tried that to get the people alert, alert help, like got his nose smashed by a, a baton. And it was madness. It was like the police tear gassed us. And the only thing that saved us was uh, Lazio. Lazio turned up on numbers to, to rub us in with the Roma. And they were like... But when we were in retreats, they were coming the other way. And they're like, oh, yeah, we fight together. And i are like, "Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're right behind you. <laughs> Off the other way, you know, one of them. And it was ugly. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was ugly. And when, when you got back to the city, it was, it, it, the, the tales were, were horrible. And like, we felt that the British press, which was obsessed with the English disease,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like didn't give enough coverage Or credence to what we've been through. And why is that? Well, yeah, you know, who cares about those scouts? Well, this
0: kind of happened in the Champions League final this year when it came about the tickets, of course, which was disgracefully misrepresented in the beginning. So, yes, I know there's a, you know, being a Liverpool fan, I accept it's pejorative to some media in the media, Calvin McKenzie, I will get into that. But yes, go ahead. So, so anyway, so we, we, so all through the
1: year, you kind of put it out of your minds, And then 1985, the finals looming, and, and we draw Juventus in the, 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 the final. And you're like, Ugh. now on, on, in, 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 in the, the Alehouse, we used to drink in the Yankee and the Wine Lodge and all that, and on the trains going to matches. It wasn't a case of, oh, great, a chance to get back at the Italians. It, because we recognised that Turin was further from Rome. Than Liverpool was for London, and we mm-hmm. really, really understood that, you know, they could Juventus couldn't be blamed for what Roma fans did. But the one thing is, we the ultra culture and all the stabbings had like got everyone on edge. And what people were saying is, no Italian will ever do that to me again, you know. And so mm-hmm. we went, we went with a bad attitude. Whereas normally you go to to go to a european game and you know so to, if there was any little cultural misunderstandings you know the, the behind out and a mm-hmm. drink and a swap you know one of them and everyone have a great time that everyone was on a hair trigger well at least the people you know and and you get i've, I've seen people write books like you know basically saying uh it's nothing to do with me you know we, we behave great you know it's like mm-hmm. um they didn't mix in the circles I did. Sure. In the circles I, in the circles I mixed in, you know, people. Well, like, I, that's not going to happen to us again. Mm-hmm. Someone went on a hair trigger, and, and and then there was the other components. It's like, and 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 including and including those in this, the British are so stupid and are so narrow minded. Even even us, it's like the room the word around Liverpool was that. Belgian beer was weak and like nowhere near as strong as British beer. So, all these fellas who were drinking like eight ten 10 pints of 2.8% miles or 3.2% bitter are like, ah, oh, you know, their lager's like piss water. And they go over there and they try to drink at like a pint of 2.8 miles. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, oh, Robin. You know, everyone's your cabbage. So they were the they were the two main factors. But but the main one was this suspicion and this concern that the Juventus ultras would be like the Roma ultras, which you know, some of them were, some of them weren't. And and what again, they, they, even when they had the television coverage of Highs over here, it's like they cut when they realized what happened, that the people dead. And so the, the the majority of the people in this country didn't see, you know, uh, like the the Juventus ultras coming out into the pitch, coming around the pitch, attacking the Liverpool ends Everyone's seen the famous picture of the fellow with the stern and gun, and it just went off the scale. And you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you you, you if if indeed the Juventus fans realised early on. That those people dead and the extent Mm. of the carnage at our end, then I'd say it was completely justifiable. I'm not sure that's true. And one for me, you know, when I look back, you know,
2: I feel it's strange. It's 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 something. It's not quite shame. It's somewhere between shame and
1: embarrassment that I behaved like a dickhead that day. I didn't do anything really violent towards any. Juventus fan or Italian, but I just acted like a drunken dick. So, yeah, there's you know, what
0: age were you back then, Tony? Sorry, what age were you back then? Were you right? What 24? What uh, 24, you were, yeah. So, you know, it's um,
2: yeah,
1: uh, uh, <clears throat> old enough to know better, mm-hmm. too immature to you know, to actually put down to practice, and so. You, so you, you know, you you look back on it and I, I always the, the thing that's
2: the, the, the few things that like. What's your worst
0: memory from that day? I My mean, worst memory. Did you see anyone die or anything, or was it close to you? No, or? no, no, no.
1: it's like, um, I, I mean, and I was in that section when the, when the church was.
0: Well, did you know people but, were dead at that point, or did you not know till afterwards? Well, we started thinking that people
1: were dead. When the delay in the game, you know, when the game was delayed for too long. And we're like, you know what? People might be dead there. And then they come out and kicked off. And we're like, oh, okay. And then at the end, where everyone left, you know, one of them. But we're like, oh, we'll stay and watch Juventus get the cup because no point in going out. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get on a bus. You know, you're not going to get on a bus back to the station. And, you know, so a, we were in no rush. And then we saw, you know, Michelle Platini. You know who everyone loves, and like you know it's um it, you know it was it, 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 you know as far as I'm concerned he's just the lowest. He was dancing with the cup, and all the players knew. The players knew before around the throw people heads. Him and the team were all dancing around the track with the cup, and all the fans come out of the ends, and they were dancing. It was like, and we were like, well, oh, can't be that bad. Look how they're celebrating. Right. And I, I was on the boat, um, and I was I was on the boat coming back, and I I. I drank too much and went into an alcoholic coma. And me mate, um, he, a mate of mine from Belfast, funnily enough, he's from uh, he's from Tigers Bay, mm. and he come oh, and he, well. woke me, he woke me up on ten to six, and like and I was like, oh. I was like, you know, and he give me a can, and I was like, I don't, I, I can't, you know, my mouth was really dry and you know, it just felt like crap. We got. Beat. It had been a long, long day. We knew something ugly had happened, but we didn't know how bad it was, but we didn't mm. think it was that bad. Said, You're going to need it, come with me. And in my mind's eye, I seem to remember scenes on a television and it was BBC Breakfast News at six o'clock in the morning. And um, looking back, I wonder whether that was true, whether it could have been radio and whether it's just me. But like, what, what was certainly true is, I was standing there and I said to him, there's loads of people just standing there and in silence, you know, one of them. And um, and they said 42 dead, always remember that 40, because initially it was overestimated. 42 dead, you know, after you know, the European Cup final. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. Open mm-hmm. the can in one, you know, then go to the toilet, throw up, you know, and just just like you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was the first I knew that anyone was dead. Mad rumors spread around the ground, but you know, mad rumors always did, and it was always like the sort of thing every away game. They're attacking women and kids. You know, they're mm-hmm. stabbing everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's a all before. The stabbing stuff after Rome, we gave more credence. Sure, but like we, we, I, 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 I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe they played the game. For one, and you know, because if I would have known that there were people dead, I would have just left.
0: Uh, I couldn't believe i read the game either. I even heard Platini say the game should never have been played. I mean, that was a major mistake. And
1: and, and we talked to the players, and the players will all say, very few of them will pop their over the parapet and say, yeah, we knew people were dead. Because reflect badly on them, do you think? Actually, mm-hmm. I don't think They were young men, still young, youngish men, mm-hmm.
2: most,
1: under loads of pressure. Yeah. And so if they didn't go out and play, then many more would die. Which is
0: a complete... To be fair, it should have to be the authority to take that decision out of the players' hands anyway. They so that yeah. they're not put in that situation. The authority should make that call, but yeah, you're right. But,
1: but you know, it's, it's one of them. I've said to a few of them over the years, what would you have done had we won? And they go, well, we were never going to win, maybe. You know, like, one, you know, sort of... We, we didn't want to play. We, we, we weren't really, you know... We weren't really into it. And secondly, you know, we wouldn't have been celebrating. You know, it, it was nothing to celebrate. You know, they 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 were like, you know, and 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 so and and so that was uh, so probably the, the the most haunting thing for me about the day is standing there, what watching the the you know Juventus players and particularly Platini celebrate, and and going to myself, well not going to myself, to my mates and my brother going, ah, you know, it can't be that bad, can it?
2: Yeah, you
1: know, it's like yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we're probably going to get, you know, roasted in the press, it's going to be English disease, they're going to be slaughtering us again. But, you know, wow, well, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. To to find out that, and that was the the, the most important moment of the next day, realising that so many people have been killed. And that was a huge shock. And and, and there's a a postscript to that. And the first game back, you know, Europe was over for us, you know, we used to go on pre-season tours, they were great. They were even mm-hmm. better than the, the, the European Cup games because, you know, less people went and, you know, it's like, here. Uh, uh, anyway, we, we our first pre-season game, uh, no, no longer like the, the likes of Rotterdam or, you know, sort of. It was, it was in Burnley, you know, mm-hmm. and so we're on a train. And you had to change press and We changed on press and go on a smaller train. And so there was probably about 25, 25 Liverpool on the train. You know, you know not not... Oh, once again, the little groups, You know, on them, and we were sitting there, and the way people were looking at us on the, um you know, from the platform, they were just looking at us. You know, none of us were wearing any colours, but they knew we were Liverpool, and they were looking at us with such contempt. And, yeah. and my mate said, "Like, god the way they're looking at us." And one of the other lads, who was older than us, said, "You know, a few seats away. You know, wasn't with us, but you can tell." He said. He says, Yeah, they've never seen mass murderers before.
2: Mm.
1: He didn't say it as boastful. He didn't say it as. You'd have to hear how he said it. It was kind of like regret. It's like, but no wonder they're looking at us like that. I understand that. You know, it's like there was no pride in it. And it was like, and it was a really sobering thing, you know. It's like, and then of course, we get into Burnley and there's a mob of about 80 of them waiting for us.
2: Yeah. you know, yeah. So
1: you know, here we go again. We're back on the treadmill of all these dickheads trying to kill you, um, and you know, and and so yeah, it was it was a really grim time. I, again, people say, oh, he's never talked about Tyson. He's never talked about Tyson. It was you know, in in, in on the first of August, 1985, Peter Hooton, who was uh, lead singer of the Farm uh, and one of the uh, creators of the End, the uh, you know, the groundbreaking crossover music football fanzine you know he brought over like a a bunch of uh kids from Turin to Liverpool and including the head of the Juventus soldiers and they stayed a week in Liverpool you know in a, in a sort of reconciliation getting to know one another and famously we played on um because I was in the farm as well, we played on the Royal Iris. Oh, I didn't know you were
0: in the farm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I we in the
1: Royal Iris and one of the most infamous nights in Liverpool music history, um, and which which has got has gone down in folklore. And they, they, all these, actually, I, I wonder what impression we gave to these uh, these young people from Turin, because like you know, it's like you know, it's like spent the best part of the week going, oh, you know, maybe these people aren't animals. And then he comes to a gig like that, which the behaviour was excessive in, in <laughs> the extreme. Well, actually, they all joined in. But, you know, it's like him. Um, but, but people were trying to break down barriers and have reconciliation as early as the immediate aftermath. That mm-hmm. was in August, and that was a non-official thing. You know, Peter was a youth worker at the time, and he just had contacts in Turin because of his youth work and brought people over. So when people say... Oh, you know, you've never come to terms with it, you've never faced it, you've never done it. They've got no clue.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no, I have to say, it's one of you that's, that's not accurate. I mean, you've, you've, you've uh, one of the best pieces I ever read before I ever reached out to you was from yourself on the high so And uh, you know how social media is it has the memory of a goldfish, it also has the selective memory. Um, fast forward four years to Hillsborough i am lucky enough to be friends with Stevie Nickel. I know Stevie quite well I've talked to him many times about Honestly, this day. Oh, he's a total gentleman. I brilliant, brilliant love Stevie. Who, who, um the clearest thinkers on football I've ever met. Brilliant guy. Um, as honest as the come, and he would do anything for you. And um obviously we tease each other about our football teams. Um, but uh we've we talked about Hillsborough and that particular day. And it's something I remember actually quite well as a young young kid. I remember watching it on TV and uh, as I educated myself later and really understood what happened that day and the subsequent miscarriage of justice and the complete and utter contempt and violation of human beings and their civil rights to breathalyze children and to do things that they did that was utterly reprehensible and to then have that exacerbated by so-called journalism, uh, by the likes of Calvin McKenzie, reached lows that um, I'm familiar with from where I grew up. But the families, of course, fought nobly to get justice for 97 people. Tell me what's your recollection of Hillsborough?
1: It was a lovely day. (laughs) It was like, and in spring you get it now, it's a, I'll come out to the house now, like, and you feel, you know, the sun will be out, still just slightly chilly. And like I'll go, oh, it was like this. This is what it was like. And I remember we we went up, we we went from my mates, um, he drove um from Anfield to, uh, just off uh Priory Road. So you know, not only what seven or eight minutes walk from the ground. So we went up there, but we got we got the bus up there and we walked up to Scotland Road, Remember, took my brother and um, my youngest brother, he's 10 years younger than me. And we stand there and he goes, Oh, it's a lovely day. He goes, um, You know, sort of, he goes, You know, it, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. And he said, I said, Yeah, it is. He said, you know, On a day like this, what can possibly go wrong? We, you know, we're going to win. Nothing can go wrong on a lovely day like this. Well, you know, it turned out quite a bit went wrong. I was fine. We got there, normal. Went up, went to the pub, normal. We had the normal amount of drink that we did every game. And, you know, it's like, It's, you know, uh, I keep asking, did you have much to drink that day? I had the normal amount to drink, I probably had five pints, I might have even had six a week, crap, bitter, you know, but I did that
0: every football match I went Mm to. You know, it's like, you know, people don't ask. But that happened at every football ground, not just Liverpool fans, Every that was the culture at the time of which the police should have anticipated. There was nothing, there wasn't people having a drink that led to this problem. People have been misdirected. They should be asking,
1: you know, uh, what was different about that day? And we know what was different about that day. But anyway, so it was all fine. And then we went to a pub a bit further away where well, it was quieter. So it was nice. And we, and there was probably there was two carloads of us and uh, a couple of fellas who'd come by train. So, you know, we all met like, and so they all started drifting off back to the, go, go to the ground. Probably my brother, who was the youngest, left about two o'clock so it's probably in by about quarter past he might have even left a quarter to two but you know everyone drifted at various times depending on and you know me, me and my mate was um you know we were we you know we, we were probably the ones who were fondest of a pint mm-hmm. so we stayed till last so we probably didn't leave to go to the ground till about 25 to 22, three, somewhere around there anyway whatever time we left We got to the the grounds about ten to three, and I had a spare ticket because one of the lads we knew was coming down from Scotland, and his train got delayed, and he wasn't going to get there. And there was no mobile phones, but he hadn't met us. So you know, it's like everyone talks about, oh, you know, it's like ticketless fans. I stood there for about so we must get there about quarter two. I stood there for about five minutes trying to give this ticket away. You know, anyone want a spare? Don't Mm -hmm. want anything for it because there was no chance. It -hmm. didn't sell out. You yeah. know, I mean, so it was one of them, so you're like, oh, oh, you know, it's like again, people these days don't understand when you've got a letter from the Pope, uh, you know, to, to get a ticket for a, a semi final or a big game, he didn't sell out, you know. It's um, so it was like in the end, I give it away.
0: Tony, I've talked to United fans that said it almost happened the year before when they were there in the FA Cup, so this wasn't something that just happened out of the blue, you know. So yeah, look, geez, go ahead, got them as a the very near yes.
1: you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in, in 1981, so anyway, so we we go into the, the queue and, uh, you know, they say, you know, people have said it was a life-threatening crush outside and the police have said, you the justification. And there's, there's Liverpool fans who know, and who I respect, who say it was a really bad crush. I didn't find it a bad crush. They might have been in a different part of the area. Mm-hmm. Because clearly there were too few gates for the amount of fans coming in. Absolutely. So me, me and my mates worked our way through the... Um, through the crowd, you know, you kind of crowd-safe, you know, we were, mm-hmm. we were veterans and that sort of stuff. And we were right, sort of, basically, you know, two or three people from the turnstiles, when the gate opened, you know, the, the, the big outside gate, and we were like, oh! And everyone just walked through a bit bewildered, you know, stick in your hands. Well, oh, where are you? And my mate, I was in the stands, but my mate went, went down the tunnel, he should have known better. You know, he'd been, he'd been there before. But one of the things about Hillsborough, if you'd never been before, when you come in through the gates, the, the, the back of the stands, and all you can see, the only entry you can see was that subway. Mm. You had to go around the sides. And, you, you, you know, you get, you know, there was always less people there. And and there, there were other entrances, but you couldn't see that. You couldn't see that. So we come in. So I so I just went, thought not love it, said, see it, And went and worked my way around to the, um, To, to, you know, I had to get a policeman or a steward to let me through into the stands. And then I went and got my seat. And as I come up the stands, I come up like just as the teams come out. That was brilliant because we were in all red, forests were in all white, the pitch was green. It was almost like football at its most perfect. The sun was out. And then, you know, the pitch for those days, you know, sort of normally by that time of year, it could be like mud, you know, but it was very green. And it was like the teams come out and they just thought, you know what? This is brilliant, football doesn't come any better. And then I turned to go to my seat. And my first thought was, Oh Christ, those two central pens are too full. And you could see all the empty spaces on the sides, on the wings of it. Mm. You could see, there's loads of room. And when I've been to Hillsbury before, when, when for the big games, when they opened that bit that sort of that goes up higher down the side by the uh, the stands we were in. Mm-hmm. So from the 11th lane to the, uh, to the, to, to, to the left, I forget which one it is, not the main stand, it's the other one. Um, so we, I told my brother, go up there, best for you, you know, one of them. Because he'd been with us before, but uh, we hadn't had it open for, you know, league games. So, so I was like, and you could see that that was fairly empty as well. But then you go, OK, well, what are you going to do? So I went and got me my seat, now. was in uh, ACM rows back, not far, you know, give or take a yard from the, um, well, actually, it wasn't give or take a yard, a yard towards the centre um, circle from the 18-yard box. So I took my seats on my own, sit down there, and the game kicks off, you know, it's one them, and then Beardsley at the bar. And, sure. you know, you, you, like, at that point, it had become clear that there's problems behind the, grip, the goal. And, you know, I think, like, everyone at the time, their initial thought was, oh, come on. You know, so it's, a, it, it's like, you know, People were trying to climb out and get onto the pitch, and your first thought was like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, settle yourselves down, you know. And then within seconds, you saw it, you know, it wasn't a settled down situation. And, and then probably about a minute or two later, a lad walked across to our side of the pitch and he was on the sand like that. His arm like that. Except there was another right angle here. And I was like, oh Christ. That's a bad crush. Yeah, you know, I've been in plenty of crushes.
0: You know. I can't believe. It's just unconscionable for me to think about the pressure that has to be put on a human being to crush them to death in a crowd. I've been in some tight crowds where yeah. I've been suffocating, but never to the point where I feel like my life is in danger. I just can't imagine how I was allowed to get to that point. Just, It's just, it, it, you
1: know, it, 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 it is a horror story. And so... So, like, so another five minutes go by, and then people come out, and obviously people are injured and they're lying on the ground. And then there was just outside the penalty area, there was a, a big fella, really big fella, and he was wearing a red shirt—not a—not a Liverpool shirt, but a red shirt. And I saw them working on him and I'd done a CPR course, so I anyway, knew CPR. So I was looking at it, like, and I was like, um. Yo shit, there's no CPR on me. I wonder if he has a heart attack. Is that when it hit
0: you where this is not just people you know, free people getting hurt, this is people dying?
1: Well, I, I kinda I, I still couldn't grasp it. And then he pulled the shirt over his face. And I'm like, oh my god. And I always remember, and it was like, they, it's strange what you think. You think he had a big belly. And like and he pulled his shirt over his his head, and there's this big white belly there. And like, you think the humiliation there, mm-hmm. you know, the, and I mean, I, I did a cocktail of things going through your mouth. So I went, Christ, there's people dead. I just blazed it out and loud. And everyone around me was like, no, they're not, no, they're not, because everyone's obviously in denial, despite what's going on in front of you. It, it's hard to, to recognize that, you know. So I, I thought, I've done C- CPR, go rounds, sort of leg rounds, retrace me steps and come through. And at the back of the Leppens Lane, where you, from the gates to the thing, it's a little sun, it's a sun trap. You know, it really is. And you know, I've been there other years. And the, um, the, the, you know, the, the, there was like the people milling around and there was a line of police standing there, a line of police. No one's doing anything, standing there. So I come round and there was people on the floor. And like, I was like, walked across. And I was like, fucking hell. This is no time to sunbathe. And you know what the fucking mm-hmm. British are like? A yeah. little bit of sun. So everyone's out, you know, one of them. And, like, and then I realized that they were dead. And I was like,
0: Oh, oh my to- God, I'm amazing.
1: Oh, Christ. So I went up. I, I didn't know what the police were there, were doing. So I went up to one of them and I
2: went, There's no one doing anything. It just didn't say anything, just stared straight ahead. And I was like, And I went, How many? And he, he sobbed. He, he, he sobbed, and I was like, so, I mean, it's not like they were, you know, this fella. It's not
1: like they're in human and they're completely indifferent. He was obviously upset at what he was saying, but he wasn't doing anything. And it was me too, not doing anything. He was still lying.
0: Was that because Doc and Feely gave the order for them not to do anything? Oh, we're getting into, like, we're getting into some...
1: The, I... I it's it's not something I want to go too deeply into.
0: Totally understand, Tony. I totally understand. Was, be, no,
1: just, I, I will finish. Go ahead. There was, there was a suggestion that because fields was so disliked, and especially among the the, the the ranks of the senior officers, they told they, they they told the rank and file to not obey orders, not obey his orders. Now, I, I don't see how obeying orders have come into it in that. Um, but, and, and, and I've never found anyone who'd go on record who'd say that. And I've talked to a number of South Yorkshire policemen at the time, and none of them, none of them will say that the order was passed down. You know, there was a suggestion it was passed down through the surgeons. But I, I, I've never found anything to give that credence. So, you know, I need to say that. I mean, go ahead. Yep. But, but, but you know, they, 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 they stood in a line across the pitch. You know, we've seen that. They stood in the line outside. And I think they were just... They, they, they were just shocked by the enormity of it. You know, yeah. I, I, and they didn't know what to do. And no one was given... I, I think more likely, no one was given the mortars. And they were so fixated on hooliganism They were so fixated yeah. on violence that the... the you know, they the kind of... They froze and maybe excuse me, they, they, they went, well, you know, the, the training was crap as well. But they, what they just stood there and, like, and there's, there's pictures of it. I posted them on social media. There's fucking pictures. of People don't believe you. You know, I mean, guys, oh, the, 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 the people don't believe you. stuff is, uh, you know, I mean, guys, for, for, you know, for more than half a lifetime now, people have not been believing me when actually there's demonstrable truth. Tony. There, the, the proof there, you know, so. But anyway, so... At that point, I kind of panicked. I didn't know what to do. Because, uh, you know, like, I, I thought I'd go there and there'd be St. John Ambulance or police. And they'd be looking at the injured and they'd be saying, okay, he needs help, he needs help. And I'd go, what can I do? I can do CPR. And they'd go, you can do this. Right, actually, a triage station was set up by a doctor called John Ashton. Um, who was in the stands as a Liverpool fan, and he came down and he organised a few people, people who had such so small skills like myself, and he organised it and he actually saved a lot of people and doesn't get the credit he deserves for it. Uh, he went on to be a uh, the, the, the head of health in sort of the northwest for a while, but his career was really blighted because he tried to actually get the truth out there, and you know, and he was and everyone you know. Ignored him, called him a conspiracy theorist, a madman, and all that. But anyway, so at that point, there was no one to direct me. You know, I was 28 years old. I was like probably very, very immature, 28 year old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of them, and I didn't know what to do. So I did I ran away? I ran out of there and I ran up the hill. and it took me it took me 15 years to stop running.
0: Well, I was going to ask you this because in many sense the world has moved on but the people that experienced that tragedy liverpool many people are still right there where they were in 1989 because they don't know how to move on are you one of them cuz i can see the pain in your eyes my friend
2: i don't think that's a... i i that's probably the most difficult question I've been asked. i have been asked
1: a lot of questions in these things. Uh have I moved on? then the, It was really bad up until the 20th anniversary. And around the 20th anniversary, it was it, it was it was gruesome. Um, after the independent panel, the flashbacks and the nightmares largely mm-hmm. stopped, you know, in the term. And I haven't had flashbacks. I used to have very, you know, God help me, poor wife. Uh, She 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 lived with me. I used to have very very violent dreams. I mean, you know, I mean, not not like once a week, you know, once. I mean, you know, it's on a nightly basis. And I used to have dreams. uh, I used to have dreams of being crushed, you know, or people being crushed, and me being unable to stop it. Uh, You know, I had a lot of that, you know. And um, uh, so I, I have less of that. So have I moved on? In a sense, yes, I've moved on psychologically. In the sense like I come to an accommodation I realized we were not going to get justice quite a while ago more than a decade ago and there were brief hopes with the independent panel and the inquests but like but my probably longer probably, probably probably back in to probably back in the 2000s I actually reached the accommodation, the realisation that we weren't going to get justice. And that's probably what made it really difficult around the, the 20th anniversary. But what shifted my focus, my focus was to, to, to make sure nothing like this happens again. Because if you, if you look, Heisel is the perfect comparison. If you look at Heisel, it was a, a complete mess. You know the, the, the police radios didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, the different types of police inside and outside the grounds, they, they you know they they couldn't get in touch with each other. The uh, there were clear uh, institutional problems with communication. The ambulances were were, were an issue. The grounds was falling apart. You could kick the outside wall in. Well, the Belgian government did a huge uh, inquiry. People lost their jobs. People were given. Uh, didn't necessarily go to jail, but were given suspended sentences. Heads sort of rolled. And what they did is they put together a comprehensive plan to go forward in the future to make sure it never happens again. That never happened at Hillsborough, and that's the big difference between the two tragedies. You know, people did go to jail, Liverpool fans went to jail. I'm not entirely sure that the people who went to jail were the ones who deserved to go to jail but that's another story altogether um you know uh, you know justice has to be seen to be done except of course in the united kingdom where justice has to be avoided and a cover-up has started so none of these things like so all the things that should we should have looked at to make public events safer weren't so for example you've got the manchester arena bombing where all the same patterns as Hillsborough were there. People were, the victims were carried out on advertising hoardings. Where we've seen again, at least two of the victims died because they didn't get to the ambulance quickly enough. Because the ambulances were backed up, mm-hmm. and couldn't get to, to the couldn't get to the place like they were at Hillsborough. You know, forty-one ambulances at Hillsborough, and only one got to the pitch. The ambulances didn't get to the people in need of them, and the reason they didn't get 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 there, with the same reasons as Hillsborough. Uh, The lack of communication between between emergency services, the the lack of coordination and the lack of a coherent response. And you know, and the thing is, we should have learned from Hillsborough, but we didn't. And you know, it's actually, that was one of the worst things to realise that a little kid and a man in his twenties lost their lives simply for the same stupid reasons mm-hmm. that people died at Hillsborough, they were there to be saved and they, they weren't. And and so I shifted my focus. And I, what I always say to people, it's not about me, it's too late for me, mm-hmm. but anytime you, your family, your loved ones, your friends go to a public event, we need to be sure that they are safe, they're protected as well as humanly possible. And in the event of something horrible happening, you know, you know. Please, it never happens again. But in the event it happens, we need to know that the response is the best it can be. And if it isn't, what we need to know is that they will they will look into it and see why it wasn't as good as it could be, yeah. and make sure the next time. And instead of blaming the victims, instead of instead of blaming the people who were innocent, instead of blaming the people who were heroes on the day, the fans who who responded by by making sure people got treatments And you know, but the problem is it never was. And you know, we still have not come to terms with it. And we need to, because the only way you can be guaranteed, you can never be guaranteed you're safe anywhere. But but you need to be sure that they have the best procedures in place. And the Manchester bombing shows we don't.
0: And Let me ask you. Makes me, that makes me really angry. I can't tell you how angry that makes me. Oh I, I completely agree with you mate. Um and if you've ever been in a unfortunate position in life to experience a loved one, and 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 find them dead, and which I unfortunately have, um, the residual mental health damage that it leaves on you is it will leave a lifetime of pain and suffering. It turned me into an addict. It turned me into serious. Uh, I was an addict within three months of that event happening. So that's why I asked the question, are you still standing right there? Because I'm still standing right there when it happened to me, the world moved on from my tragedy, but I don't know how to move on from that. And I wish I did. So I, I totally understand. I see uh, a lot of pain in your eyes that I recognize myself. I want to ask you how much damage did the son, Calvin McKenzie do towards framing pejorative narratives about Liverpool fans, the city in general, uh, and about what happened that day because a lot of, in a lot of sense, people are still fighting that narrative. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, you know, even Everton
1: fans, you know, you, uh, uh, you know, it's a certain proportion. Most of them have been completely supportive. So mm-hmm. don't, I don't want this to be attacked on Everton fans, but a small minority, you know, like chanting the sun were right and murderers and all that. Well, it did. We were an easy target. Right. I, I, I. I I don't know how to say this right because people always will frame things wrong but while I wouldn't wish what happened to us on anyone else you know in some ways it was worse for everyone there it was us because we were the easiest people to to, to you know to blacken the reputations because we would had heisel so people were predisposed mm-hmm. to that um we would had you know the, the traditional uh, idea of a Liverpool being a more violent place and more, you know, it's um, a, a, which we discussed before, you know, for all the cultural reasons. So people were willing to believe it, more willing to believe it. You know, would Kelvin McKenzie have done the headline, you know, um if um if for example even, even if it was United mm-hmm. um I wonder I wonder, you know, it's um we 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 were the we we were the classic Easy targets,
0: and um, there's also some political history behind this, too. Of course, Sun being uh, Margaret Thatcher newspaper, and obviously, the the, the, the the um, of course, the social aspect, then um, okay. where
2: yeah. they were targeting
0: um, Liverpool as a city. The day after Heisel,
1: Thatcher went on Belgium television and said something to the effect of, Well, you know, I, I'm not surprised that this happened. Have you seen these people's records on industrial relations? Mm-hmm. She's was conflating striking. For, for for better money conditions mm-hmm. and dignity, mm-hmm. with violence, which of course they do. That's what they do because mm-hmm. you know it's like they, they you know they don't want, they they, they, they in particular what, what 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 they were all about was dismantle dismantling a sense of commonality, a sense of togetherness, a sense of uh, collectivism. So you know they wanted to do that, right? and so so we were the easy victims. It was still a shock nonetheless. You know it's like. For, for, for people to say this, and, and this is like, you know, it's gone. I was at a, a football supporters federation, it used to be, and now it's the FSA. Um, to, and like, you know, when we were speaking about, uh, I can't remember what we were speaking about, steward and crowd, crowds, you know, one of them. Anyway, you'd think in that sort of environment, you'd think, oh, it's a relatively in the jargon of today, safe space. I finished talking, fella comes up to me and goes, you were at Hillsborough. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he also, yeah, I used to go to match in the 80s. I know what's like. He was, you were know, all Beth. even tried to break down the gates, weren't you?
2: Mm-hmm. And I was like, and you know what? I should have butted him. I should have butted him.
1: And I mm-hmm. didn't. And I didn't. And sometimes it took me all my moral fortitude mm-hmm. not to produce an act of gruesome violence yeah. there. But every instinct in me wanted to. Every instinct... But you know what? I come home and then they don't see what you're like in your bed that night. Mm-hmm. And he committed an act of mental violence against me. And Kelvin McKenzie, what he did psychologically, it was, it, it was, it, the impact it, it had on the entire city. Mm-hmm. And one of the proudest things is the boycott, which continues now. And, you know, and it, it, it will continue forever because each new generation is, you know, it's uh, And, but, but the, the psychological effect and people, people were desperate to believe it. You know, there's a a journalist, uh, a very well-known journalist, um, who has a great reputation, won loads of awards, who, you know, once said, in my presence, said, well, you know, it's like, you know, the thing is, Kelvin had a point, didn't he? And like, and, and, and there, it struck me. It's like, one of the flaws in British society, a a man who appears obeying, liberal, sensible, will believe what a policeman told him, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, at the time, 20 years ago, 20, 20 years ago, despite all the evidence mm-hmm. in front of you, which tells you that what the policeman said was, if not a lie, was misinformed. It's like, you know, it's a... And and, 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 and that's the thing, you know, it, 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 it lingers it's, and it's coming back. There was a spell around the after, after particularly between the Hills for Independent Panel and the inquest, when I thought, you know what, people are getting it. And a lot of older people went, oh my God, come up to me and said, I'm sorry. For years and years, I thought that. And how could I be so stupid? Yeah, you? I'm one of them. And I'd, I'd say to them, no, you know, you were told you were told this by people you should be able to trust, mm-hmm. you should be able to believe, you know, it's one of them. So I don't, you know, I didn't get angry, particularly the people, but I, I sense that 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 effect has gone and we're through that. And we're in a younger generation who are back believing the lies. And I suspect it's only going to get worse. And, you know, we're, we're going to be fighting this rear battle for as long as I live. And and there's, there's lots of survivors who are younger than me, and they'll be fighting until the bitter ends. But you know what? We're, 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 a, we're fighting
0: a losing battle. Well, you're now in that profession, Tony, and in one of the things, there's an old, old saying, the pen is mightier than a sword, which you know what that means. In shaping public opinion, and shaping narratives, the media have a massive responsibility to inform. But it seems to me today that the media are incentivized to entertain more than inform. It seems to me that the such is the re- reductive nature of social media, what gets prioritized is what gets clicks, likes, downloads, not necessarily quality journalism. Quality journalism isn't always sexy. It isn't always going to get retweets and downloads and interactions. Sometimes telling the truth just isn't sexy. So now I see journalists getting confused with commentators, and they're very different. And commentators like that conflation because they like to call themselves a journalist. I'm always correcting people that I'm not a journalist because I don't perform to journalistic standard. That's hard. There's a massive difference between commenting on a story and and, 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 and reporting on a story and creating it. Anyone can copy a Mona Lisa, not anyone can create it. Um, so given the social media and how it incentivizes people to put nonsense out there for downloads, virality and everything else, and the role of the media, the role of the media, in my opinion, is to inform, not to entertain. Um, mm. How do we thread this needle going forward? Because you're the storytellers. You're the people that are in, who, who need to tell the public what's going on behind the scenes. And yet I see our societies being torn apart into one side versus the other side. Uh, algorithms exacerbate this because it puts us in echo chambers. And most of us never hear anything that's good about the other side. And, and I really worry about that going forward. How do you feel your profession uh will will look for the next 20 years?
1: Well, it it's it is disturbing. Um I the the one thing that gives me some hope is that we're we're still very new in the internet age and we're still coming to terms with it. And I always thought it'd be good for journalism the internet, because what would happen is that when you have wider access, uh, when you have um, social media and that, people start to see a gold standard of those who know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and those who don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, it may never happen. And one of the things that is concerning, it seems to become increasingly obvious, that people don't want arguments, they don't want... To be educated. Mm-hmm. They don't want to learn. What they want to do is reinforce their own prejudices.
0: Mm-hmm. And exactly right. Them,
1: which is which makes it really, really difficult. On on the, the other side, you can't I, I wonder whether this is a sort of spasm, a painful spasm, as a result of, as I say, the uh, the, the, the the learning how to use the internet and how to develop it. I mean one of one of the, the, the good things I mean I've I've seen is despite all the, you know, the partisan, particularly in America, but it's the same here. But the partisan politics in the states over, you know, uh, Roe versus Wade, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's like it, it, the, the people of uh, of Kansas voted against, yes. you know, implementing
0: abortion. Yes,
1: and and that's that that's one of the first signs. Maybe that's a straw in the wind that you, you can go too far with, you know, sort of pushing an agenda uh, and thinking that because your camp are generally sympathetic to it or because, because the, 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 the people with the biggest voices in your camp want to promote that agenda, that the rest will follow. And I think that, 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 that's a good sign. We need to, um, you know, hopefully we'll see more of that and, we'll, mm-hmm. and, and, and that will make people question their, you know, their stance and where they are. Because, I mean, you know, it's like, I think reasonable people like to think they're open to arguments and they're open to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we've found out that they're not really, but we we, we have seen the internet in particularly, and, and the press, and this is where we come back to the press, and this concerns me, playing up the politics of fear
2: which mm-hmm.
1: you know, are always one of the foundations of the road to fasc- fascism. And it's it's w- what we need. Uh, for, for me, the problem with journalism is that for too long, it's been almost exclusively the preserve of those from, you know, sort of, we won't say wealthy, but well-off
2: backgrounds.
1: Yes. You know, and, 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 you know, people who went into it generally, you know, it, you, you, you know, sports are slightly different, but you know, it's a, you know, you look at the columnists in, in, in the mm-hmm. United Kingdom, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's hard to find anyone who hasn't been to Oxbridge, you know, yeah, it's it's like
0: Robert Pest and all that. They, they leave there on a social, on a social plane. That's different to me. I don't, I get exactly what you're saying.
1: So, so they, they can't grasp the realities of life. And sometimes it comes as a shock to them, you know, it's like, and, and I think, I, I think what, what we're seeing now, we're seeing a more inclusive. People are making really big efforts to bring people from minority uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds and and particularly women into us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they they seem to forget often the intersection between race and class mm-hmm. and, and, um, and and gender, which you know still generally excludes people from the lowest social economic backgrounds, the working classes. So. That hasn't yet been addressed and needs to be. There need to be more working class voices, more people who actually understand what it's like to live on the bottom layer mm-hmm. of society, and think. And 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 this is the main thing: is you know, it's like because and, and we often see it um, in journalism. And and to me, in an, if you want to encapsulate. The flaws in journal, journalism. It's a nutcase. In, 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 in a nutcase that that's a Freudian slip. In a nutshell, it's um, you know, it's, it's all the you know the, the pieces that are done where you know you you can, which explain to you how you can you, you know how you can take your money the fair, how you can cook you know for next to nothing, and, and like and what what they don't understand, they don't understand the circumstances that you know, that that people live in, but they, what they don't understand, and the worst thing is. About being poor, and is the the fear and the knowledge that you're always going to be poor. The fact that you come from the world with no expectation, no aspiration, and no visible way out. And this is what, to me, journalism doesn't take into account, and largely because most of them can see. You know, from when from when the young they can see a path to a world where they're never going to be starving, and they're never going to be they never going to be using pawn shops. Never, and, and and political journalism, in particular, is weak in that area with working class people. Mm-hmm. So we get very skewed. You know, put, they, you know they become part of the political problem in some ways, and we we you know it's we we need to try and get voices that speak. Voices that speak for the voiceless, really, and journalism has never had that. I thought the internet would give, and social media would give the voiceless an, an opportunity. As it happened, it turns out giving the voice the, a voice to those who should never voice. Well,
0: it's unfortunately our social media companies amplify certain things about uh, over certain other things, um, and it unfortunately leads to this vicious circle of abuse and abuse and abuse and it's legitimized everybody's point of view every nonsense we have epistemological problem in society generally speaking anyway when we look at uh, our failing iq as a nation across the board and i think um we have other issues you know um you know, we, we, our education should be a propodetic towards other areas of, of legitimate study and not into absolute insane nonsense about, uh, you know, these conspiracy theories, which like we, we talked before the show. It's good to see Alex Jones finally getting his arse handed to him. I have a couple other questions I want to get through before you leave, Tony, because I mean, you're so generous with your time and you're wonderfully picked, no, wonderful no, to no, pick no. your brain. The intersection of social media Political commentary, social commentary, mental health, mental health services, or I'm heavily involved with the mental health charity, which is one of the most pleasing things I, I get to do every day. Um, but it wasn't available uh, back in 1989 when you badly needed grief counseling, and you badly needed mental health treatment so that everyone else was overlooked. We're finally starting to see some type of revival today of acknowledgement of both male and female and, and everyone else uh, who need Serious mental health treatment and therapeutic and other means. Um, how concerned are you about the collective mental health of society today in general? That's
1: a pretty concerned. Pretty concerned. Yeah, me too. i particularly particularly the young people, and mm-hmm. it's exacerbated by a pandemic. You know, I mean that it's I, what you know. Right, we've always had this problem. One of the things that is, I've tried to write uh, about politics and I, I was writing more and more about politics and I was writing quite a bit about the politics, well, not the politics, the, I was writing more about Northern Ireland. It is politics because the people in on the mainland don't know anything. I saw some of
0: those was excellent, by
1: the way. Thank you. But like, one of the things that struck me, I, I, I went to Belfast and you can feel the trauma radiating mm-hmm. from people and there's so much unaddressed trauma there it's absolutely staggering
0: yeah, the mental health are terrible for this reason yes
1: yeah yeah and you know and like and and yeah we, we come from backgrounds where people just you know sort of like basically the phrase wasn't used but it was basically mm-hmm. like, Man, get on with it yes it like, you know take a big deep breath and pretend nothing's wrong you know it's like uh, have a few pints have a laugh with your mates you know, and but like the thing is it's not good enough it's mm-hmm. not good enough and 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 you know, I'm a, I'm a to anyone anyway. you know again coming from working class background it's important to be macho you know, sure. like, yes. you, know you don't want to show any weaknesses mm-hmm. but it, it, it actually is a failure of ourselves if we if, if we internalize everything 100%. and let, you know, the, you know Post Hills, but I, I was speaking to Peter Carney, who makes the banners. His banners are, are, are on show in the Design Museum in London now. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And, you know, he's um, you know, he, he, a survivor of the pens. And he was mm-hmm. just, and, and he's been campaigning since the very first day, you know, and because that's the only way he could live with it and deal with his own mental health problems. But he reeled off the number of suicides over the years. And he kind of, he did it unconsciously. He wasn't like, you know, oh, now you know we're on the phone. We're talking about this and that. We were actually talking about, you know, sort of what we can do in the future. But it's like, it, it's, and it just unconsciously comes out. Oh yeah, you know, such and such on the, you know, oh yeah. And then he, then he committed to, so, oh yeah. And then, you know, sort of when, when Mackenzie, you know, sort of uh, doubled down on his comments to in Newcastle to the those solicitors, yeah, five days later, he killed him. And, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, the, I, I, if if ninety seven, I'm just using this case as an example. If ninety seven was the real number of people deaths as a result of illness, yes, exactly. That's a
0: good point. We, uh, it's far uh,
1: higher. Go okay. That's good. That's really good because there's and 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 that's largely because people didn't know how to open up, didn't know how to deal with their own grief, and and you see it everywhere, and you you. For, for me the the this we, we, we're in a dangerous period because the pandemic not only did that especially to young people, it took young people who should be going through that learning phase of going out meeting people, making mm-hmm. mistakes and all that, but put them under lockdown for a couple of years and I'm not criticizing lockdowns here not, not criticizing that I'm just saying its it, it, it's a fact. And then you've got the the pressure of the society in social media, uh, body fascism and that sort of stuff. You've you know, and and you've got the education system which is turned into a
0: results factory rather Correct. than being a liberal arts. Education. To me, it's unconscionable, Tony, that we don't teach meditation. We aren't teaching mental health in school. We're teaching kids. This this you know, current stick. Come on, you get you do this, you're gonna get down, and then you're forty-five and you're expect you're right where you thought you should be, and you feel cheated because. You've got the money, you've got the job, but you're mental health in the toilet. No one taught you how to deal with stress. No one taught you how to deal with trauma. No one taught you how to deal with the pressures of life. You were just taught to be a machine, you know, yeah. to be obedient, go to work, do what you're told. And don't ask, like we see with RMT and other people, don't ask for better living standards. Don't ask for better wages. That's not your job. Your job is to shut up, do what you're told. Uh, and and to me, I think they, we have a serious ma- mental health problem with the ebb and flow of life. You know, most people are doing a job they hate. For someone, they don't like. They can't afford to leave it because they've got kids and they're trapped. And they uh, can't afford a holiday. They can't afford the basic necessities of life. Of course, they're miserable. Of course, they're going to take a substance that's going to tamper and alleviate their suffering. And of course, this is this, the 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 this is the the the, the antecedent to addiction. Of course. And so we all know addiction is almost always a result of unresolved emotional trauma. It's never as a result of just wanting to be an addict. And of course, then that gets criminalized too, which which is just truly unconscionable to me. So, um no, I, I agree that it's uh, it's we are failing our kids by not making sure we have some type of mindfulness or meditation or some type of treatment in school for 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 trauma, for or for mental health in general.
1: Without that, and, and in this like sort of post-capitalist world, if it is indeed post-capitalist world, mm-hmm. people have. The superficial trappings of every, they're told that they've got everything they ever wanted. Yeah. Well, actually, what they haven't got, which is most important of all, is the sense of self, the mm-hmm. sense of centeredness, the sense of being happy with the person they are. Because we we live in a society that, that doesn't value people and people's, it, it only values what's on the outside. Values
0: their ability to consume. How much can you spend? That's your determination much, as a human being. How much you found the way, yeah. found the way I was looking for. Yeah. That's what the difference between a bad and a good area, income, right? How much can you spend? You know, this is, and that's how we, and of course this leads to the really toxic mindset of young boys that I'm not allowed to be happy until the no days off attitude, until I make a certain amount and I have a certain job status and young girls, of course, are being treated, you know, on Instagram as nothing more than models for perverts. And, and it's just so reductive. It's so disgraceful to, to anyone's mental health.
1: And and you know what? It's, it's actually worse in America than anywhere else. I always remember in 1990, so... You know, so after Hillsborough, I ran away to America. So, but I was working on the building in the San Fernando Valley. I was living in Santa Monica, and I got on the bus. I have to get the bus at six in the morning on mm-hmm. um, at, 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 at Santa Monica and Bundy, and and, mm-hmm. and I, someone had left. And it was a Monday morning. Left an LA Times um, color supplement, and I picked it up. And I read the the, the the cover piece, and the first words were, uh, "In LA, you are what you drive." And I mm-hmm. thought, "I'm on the bus." <laughs> 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 and, you know, it's a, and, and and funnily enough, the only the only white person on the bus, you know, mostly Hispanic and black. Mm-hmm. And like, what it struck me. I thought, "What?" Back then, I just thought, I, I, "It it didn't bother me because I'd always got buses and." I'd never owned a car, you know, it's like I'm mm-hmm. from an inner city, so why would you? Well, I thought, what a message that's sent out to, you know, the, the whole, you know, and that might be a funny intro. When I can see funny intros, you, you do it. But I knew there was truth in it. I knew there was truth. Mm-hmm. It was telling the truth. And the message it was sending out to the whole wider area is that consumption is important. You can only validate yourself by material goods, and, and I suppose that's what I was going to go back to. And that's what, you know, so when you come up with a better phrase than I did, uh, people can only find validation in material consumer goods. Mm-hmm. When in fact, you know what? There are plenty of things you can find validation in if you are, are allowed and taught that there are other important things in life and you're taught to value yourself. And we're, we're taught to value. Other things, we're taught to value Rolex watches, big cars, you know,
0: know,
1: um, the the ability to spend madly. We're taught to value that more than our person.
0: Yeah, look, there's an old cliche from a rap song, man made the money, money never made the man. And I remember my mother used to say to me, you are better than any car you will ever sit in. You were better than any label you will have on your back. You're 13.8 billion years of evolution. You're this incredibly you know, complex thing to never reduce yourself to adding value through a label or through a car or whatever. None of this means anything. And of course, when we understand where you stand on an issue it all depends on where you're sitting. You know, if I ask you five minutes after you eat lunch, do you want to eat? You're going to say no. If I ask you five hours after you eat lunch, you're going to say yes. It all depends on where you're at in life. And um, I think desire never changes. It just all depends on what what your immediate needs are. But you have to realize that none of these things add value to your life. Money buys comfort. It doesn't buy happiness. And comfort yeah. is not always a good place to be because ingenuity comes out of discomfort. um. Yeah. A uh, couple, couple, one or two things left, Tony, because uh, you'd be so generous with your time. Um, I want to ask you about the future of football because you and I both support big football clubs that are a year out from the this, this, this Super League debacle. Of course, you remember Hicks and Gillette. Um, I think for a football club like Liverpool, it's very important that whether you're the owners or whether you're the manager, you are culturally consistent with the values of that setting. I think it's really, really important to recognize that you recognise that. And I think it's also true for Manchester United. Um, I'm really concerned about the future of football and how everything seems to be a casualty towards profit. And and a pro- profit and loss column is almost more important than a win-loss column today. And I'm really concerned about football selling soul and where it's going to be 20 years from now if it hasn't already sold its soul.
1: Yeah, I. it's difficult because I, I don't want to sit here and say, and all the young people watching it, I go, you know what? We've had the best of it. Worse has to come. Because that's not quite true anyway. What we, we saw, we saw the game before the corporatization of it. Yes. And it was a different game. And much of it was worse. But there was still... It still felt like there was a connection between the communities that the clubs come from, and the clubs. Where it feels less and less now, and certainly from the ownership. But then there was also a parallel thing. I mean, in, in my years ago in the match in the seventies, and eighties, I never really knew own Liverpool. I, you know, I, I just I didn't mm. think about it. I knew that they probably wanted to make a few quid and knew they, they probably did, even though they you know they spent. But like there was a parallel culture. It was what the owners wanted and there was what us as fans saw the club and what we wanted and generally winning trophies was the destination for both of us so uh uh um you know sort of uh, 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 uh desires were the same for different reasons and so so i could live in my culture and they could live in theirs but it, it come together unfortunately you know, in fact, it, it, it was, um, you know, uh, it, it Martin Edwards used to say, and it it was a joke, I think. I think was used to say, oh, the best case scenario is to finish second and everything every year, maximum profits, don't have to pay the bonuses." David Gill
0: said something similar, by the way. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and but once you get into that culture, it becomes completely different. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got family Sports Group, and I. I, I, I had a relationship with John Emery um, and um, not, not now uh, but I did have a, a relationship we kind of fall out you, you tend to fall mm-hmm. out with people um, it
2: <laughs> I does happen anyway. yeah. um,
1: but like uh, the thing is you know what he, he's not a bad person right but what would happen with Liverpool is to make really bad decisions you tell them they were bad decisions you'd tell them not to do it for example a ticket take a fiasco you know, um, ticket prices, fiasco and things mm-hmm. like that. And they'd do it anyway. And then there'd be a backlash. And, the, the, you know, the, the, because they're, they're relatively decent people, they'd they do a U-turn. Again, if the furlough stuff, yes, you know the There'd they, um, be a U-turn. Uh, there's lots of people that don't do U-turns and you can't put pressure on them. You can't really put pressure on the Glazers. They are feeling under pressure, but it's not coming from the fans, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that to, to an extent, and United fans won't like this, won't like me for saying this, but, you know, there was a certain element of green and gold until we start winning trophies again, you know, and that's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and Ferguson facilitated them because he was so good, you know, it's, um, and, and, and obviously there was a core of United fans who never give up and they always fought the Glazers, but the vast majority backed away from it. You know and it wasn't as easy for them as it, for United fans, it was for Liverpool because you're letting Hicks run out of money completely, and you know, and so they were easy to prize. The Glazers were never going to do that, they were always going to be so. But like it, it becomes harder and harder for the fan to have an influence mm-hmm. on the club, um, and I think that's concerning. I know United are talking about getting fan representation and selling fan shares, but trust me. But the Glazers, they won't give any, any powers, you know as well as I do. Yeah. Um, so so a fear for that. And what I think is different, and a wish, and you can't do it now because the game's so global, and, and most people, to use their way, consume their football through television, through the mm. cameras, the lens, the cameras. But for me, what was great about it was to be able to get up in the morning. And if, in, say in the 80s, when televised games on and we started shifting the, the kickoff times from days and, mm-hmm. and times you get up on a Saturday morning and my mate would phone me and say you know what he said like you'd it, have the daily mirror and you look so okay where can we go today and we would pick a game and we'll go and get the train or or he drive yes. we'll go and you could just go turn up, pay on the gate and go in and watch it and that that's something that the the Modem fan will never have, mm-hmm. you know. Most people who support Liverpool and United will never get to Anfield and Old Trafford, mm-hmm. and I think that's it's great in one way because I'm all for, you know. I, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's right and proper to be a Liverpool fan, you know. <laughs> and, and you know what? And equally, it's right and proper to be a United fan, mm. you know. You know, you you, you know, you, you're not trying to sell me. Or, because you know, because you're not scouts, you can't be a Liverpool fan. You know, that's it, a lot of bollocks. That yeah. so, so you know, so it's why it makes it. It makes it a very, very different game. And you know, and what, what one of the I think the, the positive things is seeing the way the modern player. We we went through that period. I think the most depressing period was in the two thousands when the big money had, had already come in. It's hit. And the players would be even in a manner, you know, you'd hear all about the roastings mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and all that. We've kind of moved through that. And the players are great. You know, uh, when I, I interviewed Rashford, um uh, oh, probably coming up on five years ago now, four years ago. Anyway, I, 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 I got stuck on the train. So I sent the, the transcript through to my wife to type up for me while I, I was stuck on a train and she... Um, I said to her, I said, this is one of the most impressive young men
0: yeah, I've ever met. Could.
1: And, and I said, like, you know, I said, and, and the worst thing is, when you're in this business and people don't realise, is you meet people and you still not want the nice people to win. Yes. So, you know, when I was a fan, United just wanted them to get beat every time. But you know what? It's like you meet people like Rashford and you think you want them to do well. And, you know, it's like an opportunity to conflict. Do you want United to win or not? Well, uh, yeah. wanting is to do well overrides the, the... And that's the thing, we come back to where, really, where we started. Do you know what? Football really is, as great as it is, as in, and I believe it's really important to your culture, to your sense of self, it's kind of defines who I am, where I'm going.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In many ways, it's the least important thing in the world. And you know what? what's the most important thing is your humanity. And what's the most important thing is the commonality. Mm-hmm. I've got more exactly. in common with most United fans than I've got with Boris Johnson. I've got, more 100%. Common, 100%. I've
0: got
1: more in common with United fans than I have with, I don't know, rugby union fans mm-hmm. certainly. And and it's kind kind of, and it's been a long journey because you know I've been a dickhead full of hatred. We all have young kids, you know, um, at, at, you know. sort of when when I was younger, it's been a long journey, but you come to see is that it's, you know, even at the worst moments, you know, when United's went to treble mm-hmm. um in 1999, I had I had some of the lads who I worked over me mates, and I got German beer and we had crap beers. <laughs> and, like. and anyway, and you know, you know what happened. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. wife was away working, so she was away for five days. And basically, I looked at the lads. I like when the final whistle went. I said, "I'm going to the toilet." Then I'm going to bed. Oh, was
0: so then, <laughs> I was around 2005.
1: I was like, I'm "Going to bed.
0: And we came back.
1: Like, how did this just happen? So I know how you felt. I was like, "Let yourself out. Let yourself out." And I went to bed, and I went to bed for 24 hours. You know, I was like, I didn't mm-hmm. want to get up. And then I thought. No, oh, the sun has risen, there's a new season around the corner. You know, it's like uh, the, the joy's is fleeting, the misery's fleeting really. You know, and, um, and, and then I started thinking about fellas and you, United fans, I'm thinking we're great like the
0: bastards must have had. Oh, you know, it's like, my like, two like, brothers like, are like, Liverpool, Liverpool fanatics. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we grew up bad on each other. Like, I think one of the things that's universal about football is, I have a 15 year old son, I took him over to Old Trafford in December. It's one of the few things we connect on. I don't understand his world. I don't understand the world of Snapchat and the social things that goes on. And in his world, I just don't. It's very different from my generation, and you will know this too. But football is one of those unifying things that we connect over. And while driving to school in the morning, in the car, will talk about football. And he's an American kid, but sadly, grown up in a UK Irish influence, and and um. You know, most of my friends that are in my house are English or Irish or what have you. So you know, that's very heavily influenced by them. And um, of course, they're Liverpool, some are Liverpool fans, some are Arsenal fans, and, and the the bond there between us never gets serious to work, it's personal. You know, we, we'll tease each other, we'll talk to each other about our football teams, but I think there's certain things that transcend football that I just don't really have any interest in that, um, are, are, you know, the end of the day, it is only football. And I, uh, But I love the fact that it is something that I connect with my son deeply over and I'm sitting watching a 15 year old American kid playing football manager, which is unbelievable to me. But it, but it is, a, it's a for force in, in many ways, even if he supported a different football club, it wouldn't matter to me. And I think that we saw during the pandemic when fans couldn't go to games the impact it had on a lot of people's mental health and social life and I think you know it's not quite what Bill Shankly said it's more important um, than life or death but it is very important and it does much more than just 22 men kicking a ball around Tony this has been an absolute pleasure man I've got about 20 other questions i never got to but um, I I would love to get you back and uh, as I said it's been a tremendous pleasure for me and I've been a great supporter of your work and fan of yours so thank you so much for doing this Uh,
1: it's, it's a pleasure anytime and you know what I've got a I've got a novel coming out in uh, no oh, and uh, which is about which is about culture. The football plays a small part, it, but it's about culture, about working class culture. It's about um it's it, it, it's it's about the politics, it's about the big um, uh, uh, watershed in British society that was Thatcherism and the way it's changed for the worse. And it's um but yeah, there's enough football and there's music in it, you know. So it's um and 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 and, and you know, anytime you know me.
0: Talking about football, I can talk about football. Well, you come from such a culturally rich city that has... Produced arguably the greatest musicians in the history of of the world with the Beatles, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, and then of the farm. right behind that. there. <laughs> the,
2: the boys agree. It's just
0: when when with can you, know, Didn't you do that, George? Can you do so much, George Best? That uh, don't I you don't want, want me, baby? Was
1: that it? now? That... I'd left the band by then. You know, oh, and, and, um, and and they they do great. They had great success, but it was a very different band. You know, I I I played the trombone. We had the brass section there. Right it was, you know, people say it was more like the, the undertones meet taxis you know, it's uh, than, than what they had the hits from. So, so it was really brilliant from from my sense. I never had the feeling, though, I missed out on it because the sound was so different to the sound when I was playing. So, you know, it's um, so you could, you know, no, no, no sort of envy or bitterness. But you know what, I wasn't the greatest musician in the world, but
0: I look good. It's, <laughs> an, it's an art, Tony, it's something you do for the love of it. That's what you that's what the whole purpose of art is. Oh, you yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, to be the best. So. Absolutely. Uh I'd, I would love you to come back and talk about your novel because I'd be really interested to hear about that. Um, absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for doing this and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, speak to See you. Soon.